Good evening. After 50 days of prayer and celebration, we bring our Easter season to a close. As we gather on this feast of Pentecost, our scripture focuses on the what's next in our call to discipleship. For we hear in John's Gospel, the disciples once again huddled in the upper room asking themselves the same question when Jesus appears to them. Jesus responds by greeting them with peace and giving them the gift of the Spirit and then sending them forth just as the Father had sent him. So now some 2,000 years later, what does what's next look like for you and me? Paul reminds us that despite all of our differences and the fact that we all have different gifts, we are all baptized into the one body of Christ and have been given that gift of the Spirit. But armed with all that, what do we do? Or better yet, what don't we do when we're called forth to be sent? Listen to this African parable and see what I mean. The rainy season that year had been the strongest ever and the river had broken its banks. There were floods everywhere and the animals were all running up into the hills. And the floods came so fast that many drowned except the lucky monkeys who were able to climb up into the treetops. They looked down on the surface of the water where the fish were swimming and gracefully jumping out of the water as if they were the only ones enjoying the devastating flood. One of the monkeys saw the fish and shouted to his companion, look down, my friend. Look at those poor creatures. They're going to drown. Do you see how they struggle in the water? Yes, said the other monkey. What a pity. Probably they were late in escaping to the hills because they seem to have no legs. How can we save them? I think we must do something. Let's go close to the edge of the flood where the water is not deep enough to cover us and we can help them get out. So the monkeys did just that. With difficulty, they started catching the fish one by one and they brought them out of the water and put them carefully on dry land. After a short time, there was a pile of fish lying on the grass motionless. One of the monkeys said, do you see? They were tired, but now they're all just sleeping and resting. Had it not been for us, my friend, all these poor people without legs would have drowned. The other monkey said, they were trying to escape from us because they could not understand our good intentions. But when they wake up, they'll be very grateful because we have brought them salvation. In our efforts to go forth, how do we respond to those who are different from us? What assumptions do we make about others? Is our focus about pointing out how different they are? For the most part, many of us have the potential of making very good monkeys. Can we pause long enough? Can we listen well enough to experience what it's like to be the fish? Just as Christ emptied himself to become one of us, what does it look like for you and me to empty ourselves so that we can become one with each other? Or are we just too busy trying to give advice and fix everyone else's problems? Author Parker Palmer recently wrote a piece where he talks about those who ministered to him during, during a medical 
challenge in his life. This is what he said. Advice giving comes naturally to our species. It's mostly done with good intent. But in my experience, the driver behind a lot of advice has much to do with the self-interest as interest in the other's needs. And some advice can be, end up doing more harm than good. Many of us helper types are as much or more concerned with being seen as good helpers as we are with serving the soul-deep needs of the person who needs help. Witnessing and companion take time and patience, which we often lack, especially when we're in the presence of suffering so painful we can barely stand to be there. We want to apply our fix, then cut and run, figuring we've done the best we can to save the other person. Parker goes on to talk about his dear friend Bill, who came over every day for a number of months and said very little. He simply massaged Parker's feet. He writes, by offering me this quiet companionship for a couple of months, day in and day out, Bill helped save my life. Unafraid to accompany me in my suffering, he made me less afraid of myself. He was present, simply and fully present, in the same way one needs to be at the bedside of a dying person. Then there is Bernard Francis Casey. Now, Barney was born in Ocean Grove, Wisconsin in 1870. He was one of 16 children of Irish immigrants. The young Barney felt the call to priesthood, but at the age of 16, he had to go out and work to help his family. And Barney always did what work was available, from being a lumberjack to a prison guard. Whatever the job, he did it to the best of his ability, wanting to serve God in all things. When he was 21, he was finally able to enter St. Francis High School Seminary in Milwaukee. Studying did not come easy for Barney, but after much work, he finally was ordained a priest at the age of 33. He was given the title to use then simple priest, meaning he wasn't permitted to preach or to hear confessions. But that didn't bother him. He just took joy in having the honor and privilege of being able to offer mass. Father Casey lived in Detroit, and his main job at the monastery for 20 years was being the doorkeeper. Wanting to do the absolute best at whatever God chose for him, unexpectedly, he became known for his service to the sick and those who visited the monastery as people began attributing cures and other blessings to his interactions with them and others. He died in 1957 at the age of 86, and in 2017 his beatification was approved by Pope Francis. Blessed Bernard had well figured out that his what's next is merely to open and close doors and to be present to others. See, sometimes also our what's next is dictated by what life throws at you. So finally, take for example Justin Hardy, who was raised in Chicago suburb of St. Charles and earned his degree in finance from the Olin Business School last December. And he played forward for the Washington University basketball team of St. Louis. Last spring, he was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. Early rounds of chemotherapy left Hardy's energy zapped. He lost 50 pounds and resigned himself to sitting out the final season. 
But when doctors gave Hardy the go-ahead to play, Hardy decided he would do everything in his power to help his team reach the NCAA tournament. Hardy said, this is my life now, which has changed forever. If I want to live life, I have to choose to put my best foot forward and attack it with a positive mentality. I don't feel happy with the situation, but I do where I am in life. His teammate and close friend Jack Nolan comments, everyone knows Justin's incredible story about how he kept playing, but what changed me in so many ways was everything he did off the court. How after a life-changing diagnosis, he became a better person, a better friend, a better teammate. He was just the most selfless person, always there with a text message or a gesture, checking in to make sure that you were okay. Justin died last Sunday, but his community is now forever changed by his legacy of courage and strength and love shown to others, discipleship to and for others, until his final day. So what do we do next? What does being sent and discipleship look like for each of us? For it can be as simple as rubbing someone's feet, or perhaps opening a door and greeting one who's knocking, or giving support to those around you, even in your last days. Discipleship can be as easy as just listening to someone's story, allowing a fish to be a fish and to swim on by. Because our call to action, our call to follow him, does not ask us to fix or save others, Rather, it's about being present, being attentive, being able to sit still and listen, the kind of listening that allows the soul of the other to be one with yours, which then allows us to hear and to be heard, and thus be in a better position to respond to the call of discipleship, the call to be sent forth, the call to companion the other, exactly as they are.